0: You're listening to
1: Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players and all about strategy, leveling up and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass.
0: Well, in, uh, in Paris, in Lille, on Tuesday, we're all there. We've not coordinated. Everybody will be in Paris on or in Lille on Tuesday looking for drafts Post on Twitter. Hit us up. Anyway, <laughs> heading into Speaking of Limited, having 60, uh, episode 68 of Arsenal Pass, we are joined by Michael Fang today to do a deep dive on the Limited format. We actually recorded that conversation before recording the intro, and it is, it's really good. You know, he's a wealth of knowledge, really looks at the game from a quantitative perspective and breaks things down um, in a manner that makes, makes it <laughs> It makes a lot of sense like uh i think that he's he's one of the best minds for kind of explaining some of his key concepts like pack distribution breakdown um you know how many heroes are supported et cetera. Et cetera. so that's helped me a lot with developing my uh, <clears throat> heuristics but anyway hayden how was your week in flesh and blood
2: my week in flesh and blood was good i played a final road to nationals a draft road to nationals was that this past weekend it must have been yeah it was okay yeah i played a I just realized that was Utrecht the same weekend as the final weekend of Road to Nationals? That's, uh, that's funny. It's cool. Um, played, what did I do? I had a seven-man pod at the start, which was kind of kind of odd. It's weird because we're recording so late this week. So I feel like I'm so out of kilter with like where we are in the week. We usually record on like a Tuesday, Wednesday. It's now Friday for me. So uh, I, I had like a, a Road to Nationals. It was great. Drafted Fire, my first pod in a seven-man pod. It was kind of odd. I hadn't drafted a seven-man pod before, so it was good good experience and then um did, like icelander my second pod and then uh, lost again in the quarter final of another draft road to nationals with the my deck so i drafted all three heroes across the day though which was fun i uh, enjoyed it. it was good to get that last kind of road to nationals in and, and see a few more people qualify for nationals which i guess now the cutoff has happened and we're hurtling towards it post uh pt What what about yourself
0: Yep. So I play no events, um, just double down on testing. Our testing has increased double. <laughs> so we have a little bit of a macro schedule in terms of like how much we test and how often we test. And it's like slowly ramps up as we progress through the months. So a lot more testing. Um, I can't make U.S. nationals. I think, uh, you know, we said that on the pod already. So not really incentivized to go to the road to nationals. And although it's great draft practice, I do find at this point, go. I have. I'm lucky enough to have a local group that does a bit of a draft camp, you know, on the weekends. So, that's that's kind of time better spent for me. So that's where I'll be. Um, but yeah, mostly testing. Anyway, uh, what about the news? What's 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 new this week? What about it? What, what about, about it? it?
2: Is, uh, well, look. I mean, we saw Utrecht happen over the weekend. The first mixed format calling took place in the Netherlands, and uh, a big congratulations to our latest calling winner, Sand Nift. Um, taking down Fymer, I believe, in the finals. Uh, you know, Fi was kind of the talked-about deck heading into the weekend. I guess it's going to be the talked-about deck heading into Singapore, Lille. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where we go next. I guess I wanted to ask you, Brendan, any thoughts overall on the event? Because this episode, we are talking limited with Michael. But from a constructive standpoint, I guess, and a mixed-format standpoint, any kind of thoughts you had over the weekend? I'm not sure if you... You know, it was unfortunate there was no coverage, so there was it was kind of hard to follow. But um, we do know that it was... You know, if I mirror in the finals, five wins the event. If you fire, top eight. Most played deck at the event, uh, I think about 20% of the format was fire. All yeah. players playing fire.
0: So I know a lot of people have talked about this format being like a very good uh, hero pie. I think that that's going to be drastically different to the next high level event. <laughs> this event is really sort of the. Um, the first indication of where the format's going and kind of the dominant decks. We will see people respond to that, but I think this idea of like a very diverse pie will kind of go away as people realize that, you know, their hero or their pet hero is maybe not competitive against the the so-called best deck. And that so-called best deck is very, very good at doing its one thing. Um, so you need to have a plan for that. If, you, if your deck can't beat, well, <laughs> oh my God, Michael had the funniest name for this deck, but we'll just call it Zoomerfy. You like, I honestly don't know if you should, be playing that deck at the event like period like it is uh it's a very popular deck it's very easy to play to an extent um and i think a lot of people are going to be picking it up it's just like it I explained it like this to you, <laughs> in our closing thoughts with Michael. It's kind of like playing Kano, except you don't actually have to draw relevant pieces to your combo; they just exist on your armor. <laughs> so it's a pretty
2: wild, deck. I mean, um, we, we say this every time, and then Prism's still going to show up. So oh yeah, yeah, Prism.
0: Prism's number one on my list. I'm taking Prism to a PT a PT win this time. Um, no, I don't know, but Prism is a legitimate destruction discussion that's going on in testing. Uh, so I'm I'm going to meme on it less this uh, in 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 the lead up to this Pro sure. Tour. Sure.
2: Feel like, I'm so removed. From Bolton sells socks now. Go ahead. <laughs> Road to national season is over. The cut to 90 day XP has happened uh, by the time the pod drops. So, a big congratulations to all those who have qualified. Felt very competitive this season. You know, a lot of people in, in my area who play a reasonable amount you know we're actually like sweating on like xp invites a lot of you know it felt like there were less spots at road to nationals this year i don't know if there was less road to nationals or what it was in, in my particular area but i actually think what it is overall is just we've just got more players in the game playing competitively since since last time around with nationals so um you know everyone really earning their invites this time around which is is great to see
0: very interesting uh, my experience was the complete opposite i wonder if that's like a dichotomy between the u.s and australia right now but uh, not in like a super bad if way. You're not
2: going to nationals.
0: <laughs> well, no, it's just like people were definitely not like it didn't. I didn't feel like people were sweating. And our first road to National season was extremely competitive, and the like the amount of people that showed up was like two to three times as many. So like it was a stark difference from that. It felt very casual to that because back then road to nationals was the the top the top competitive format that you could be in. Um, so it actually felt super casual. There was a lot less people. Um, not in like a bad way, but it's just funny here it from your side where you're like all these things have gone up where on our side um or at least in my experience here in texas it was down but it is uh we are comparing it with road to national season one which was an absolute insane season with events of like 50 to 100 pretty consistently in this area
2: well i guess actually sorry you got road to nationals in season one must, must be nice so uh i guess that's the other contrast is we didn't have road to nationals and they were all online uh no tunics in australia unfortunately so if you're uh, if you own a rainbow foil extended art tunic in australia you're uh, you've you've done well somehow <laughs> still a bit better that we didn't get those given out for season two but it's what it is um brendan what about fitness challenge any update on on that, as we close out July, yeah. uh, we're basically, you know, we're one day removed from August.
0: Yep, so closing out the Fab Fitness Challenge this month. It's been incredible. Uh, you know, we've consistently talked about my pod, just like, especially in our, in our Patreon Discord, sort of the community and the engagement has been awesome. Um, I just want to give, you know, we are going to be announcing winners, I think, on next week's pod, um, as well as the prizes. But I have sort of picked out a few special people. In, <laughs> while we wait for that... Uh, I do want to do a couple shout-outs, so big shout-out to T. Tebow. Um, I know we mentioned him at the beginning, but his update on the last call was pretty impressive. I think this is his first time really starting to exercise, which is incredible, and he stuck with it, and I know he's down like 30-plus pounds, which is just, inc- just ridiculous, and he's wrote some very nice messages about um kind of his positive experience and plans to continue with that so that just makes me feel very good it, also in our discord there's alex c and zachary these guys uh i always know they're going to be on the call so <laughs> we have a we have a you know some group calls in the arsenal pass uh patreon discord where we kind of debrief on the fab fitness channels these two are always there and they're also very consistent with like daily posting they post everything they eat everything all the workouts they do and then are constantly helping people out and i know they inspired me to you know really try hard so just some shout outs to some people that have been uh you know very active in our discord and next week we'll be announcing winners and you know hopefully we can get some cool content to sort of support those people that have uh you know put a lot of effort into this challenge
2: yeah i'd love to hear it's been a been a really great experience the wider community as well and i would just want to give a, a special shout out to all of the other content creators uh who jumped aboard everyone on fab twitter who who got involved and and of course just everyone who who took part and and um did fab fitness for july i'm sure we'll we'll see it back again sometime soon but yeah some awesome stories coming out of it Did just want to say lastly brendan uh we've got a few gameplay videos that have gone up in the past couple of weeks me and brendan took some time out to do some some gameplay um, get those videos up, and there's a, a couple of matches with some of the top decks from the co- sort of current class constructed meta up on our YouTube channel. If you aren't already subscribed, you know we're we're closing on 5,000 subs, so uh you know drop us a subscription if you uh, don't mind. Maybe you listen on podcast platforms, jump across to YouTube and uh, and drop us a sub. We'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, also a new deck tech. Uh, we had uh, one with that you did Brendan with with Tara Patel. There's also a cyborg guide up on our Patreon for that, and uh, you recently recorded one with Yuki, which I'm uh, which I'm sure will be going up sometime soon, uh, Brendan. So yeah, I've got a, a couple of really cool class constructed deck techs with, of course, as we always do up in our Patreon, uh, our full cyborg guides and deck guides, and and both our guests have been lovely enough to provide those for our Patreons as well. Um, you can join our Patreon, of course, uh, by just clicking on the link below. We do monthly additional podcasts, sort of extra content as well as all those uh, deck guides that we provide whenever we make a sort of deck tech video. But yeah, thanks again to all of our patrons. Just Brendan, to... no... Oh, uh, sorry, Brendan.
0: Uh, sorry, I just want to quickly mention, because I actually think this happened with the last time we talked to the deck tech, but the deck tech with Yuki is actually a Lexi deck tech. I think you oh, admitted yeah, yeah, the hero be. with Herrick as well. But yeah, it's a Lexi deck tech.
2: It's Yuki. What else is it going to be? It's Yuki. Uh, what else, uh, is she, what else is she, You know, uh, Not that Yuki not that she doesn't play other, other heroes and other decks, but um, you know, she's synonymous with Lexi, so I just assumed everyone would, would believe so yeah
0: well just in case people didn't know yeah it is a lexi deck deck and uh, a deck that you know may come into its own in, in
2: this uh Phi dominated meta that we're we're seeing hey. at the moment very true very true look we do have some amazing command and cookout questions uh on the back burner <laughs> if you get what i mean ah. uh <laughs> which we are going to be bringing to you over the next couple of weeks via our Discord and some some YouTube questions and email questions we've had. But we do have an amazing interview with, with Michael to talk all through Uprising Limited and pick his brain. Uh, Brendan fires him some hard questions and I want to make sure we have maximum time for that. So no Commander cookout this week, but we will be back next week with some of these great questions. If you do want to get a question in and get yourself in line for a snag off the barbie with one of these questions, uh, you can email them to us at Gmail.com, tweet at us, DM us, drop them in the YouTube comments below. Let us know it's a Commander cookout question or if you're uh, one of our patrons in the Discord, There is a discord channel for command and cookout questions but brendan i mean without further to do i think we uh we bring michael in and and we we get this uprising limited brain picking session with michael underway
0: let's do it all right everybody we are joined with michael fang here a Good friend of mine hosted me when I came over to New York. And then not to read off you know, some of his accomplishments, but I think his, uh, the most important one actually came soon after that trip where he won the, the Team Sealed Tournament over there in Ohio for <laughs> the reigning champions. But under his belt as well, he is a calling champion of Cincinnati Tales of Area Limited 2021, final, finalist at U.S. Nationals in 2021. Uh, he's gotten second at the Battle Harden in Syracuse and a top 32 at the Pro Tour. So a very, very good player. A lot more than that as well, because also a content creator, which I didn't know for a very long time. Michael um, has a YouTube channel called Cards with them. I know you do a lot of box openings. Um, you uh, you tend to play it down quite a bit. You don't you don't tend you didn't really mention fourteen hour streams and all this crazy stuff, <laughs> which I got to see in person. Um, and on top of that, he's the co-host of the new podcast Attack for Twenty, which has sort of burst on the the scene recently, providing high level flesh and blood strategy discussion, specifically drafts, which we're going to be going over today. Um, so yeah, without further ado, let's go ahead and let's hop into limited. Michael, just give me your general thoughts on the format. Your kind of high level, um, high level view.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, first, thanks for having me, Brendan Hayden. Um, so, Uprising Draft. Uh, we have now we're like a month into the season, I guess. Um, I think the easiest way to summarize it is the format. We we like to joke that it could be better, or sorry, it could be worse. Um, it's definitely a format that is very tight so your decisions count like from turn one Um, sometimes like the game is lost before you even have a turn Um, uh, just going first going second Um, like for example in the five mirror if you lose a dice roll and you're going second you have like or you you know you're going first there's like a slight amount of advantage and disadvantage but sometimes you can flip the script on that like if you go first as five and you kind of catch the other five with their pants down and you get in maybe a little bit more damage, like five or six damage in that range, um, sometimes you also win then. So, like, it's it's definitely a very tight format. I don't feel like um, I felt um, other formats limited-wise as punishing. Um, and it's also tight in the sense that a lot of games are down to the wire. One point of damage is all that matters. Um, so, I guess if I had to summarize it, it's just like a very tight format. It's It's not the best beginner format at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it's I don't think it's a very good format to get new players into the game.
0: What do you think about the sort of competitive integrity of the format? Do you think it's it's a good format for competitive events? Do you feel like you have a lot of agency as the player? And do you feel like your preparation leads you to a higher win weight and just a better play experience? Like Does preparation
1: matter? Um, preparation definitely matters. Uh, I think just in general, Flesh and Blood is a, very, is a game that preparation just helps a lot um it decreases variance there's less variance in this game than magic in my opinion um uprising in terms of actually competitive integrity we'd have to compare it to other formats i mm-hmm. think i guess the best answer to your question um i think compared to tails i feel like uprising actually has more integrity in the sense that if you're like better at draft uh with uprising you will get rewarded a little bit more um and I say that with like this weird caveat because uprising is also in this weird format where there's only three decks you can draft, whereas in Tails, there was like four and a half, five, and you could do like these like pivots and stuff during the draft. Whereas in uprising, like the only type of pivot you really do is like a hard pivot. Um, but I, after drafting this format enough, I feel like those hard pivots are like what separates like your pod, your draft from going like one, two. To at least like a two one, um, and I think that's like 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 I think very few people are are able to execute that well. Um, so I don't know if that answers their question.
2: <laughs> where do you, Michael? Where do you see? You know, you uh, you're a magic player, right? That's your your background is, yeah, is magic. Yeah. So you you've played quite a bit of limited in, in other games. Mm-hmm. How do you compare? It just maybe, first of all, limited in flesh and blood, so flesh and blood draft versus maybe, say, a magic draft, where do you feel they sit in terms of um, comparisons to each other? And then for this Uprising format, is there anything you think back to your time in Magic that you compare a set like Uprising to? Like, if you experienced a set like Uprising before, or is this, does this yeah. feel completely different, the way that you have to draft? Because for for me, you know, the difference between tales, the difference between Welcome to Right, there is a lot of difference in this format. There's a mm-hmm. lot of different nuances. Uh, I Exelon
1: or... Uh, rivals of ixalan i mean it just in general flesh and blood draft feels very ixalan like in the sense that there are just tribes you pick a tribe and like late in pack one by pack two maybe like i've stayed as open as pack two like first couple picks in uprising but the moment you have picked it's just like it's just gravy after that like there's very few decision points you make after that um and that's kind of how Ixlan felt. Ixlan was actually, to me, almost a little bit worse, even though I had four tribes. You had to commit like by pick one, pick... pack one, pick five-ish. And you just had to pray. Like, fingers crossed, please. No, like Only like two or three guys in, in my tribe or at max like one or two, and just hope to get there. Um, definitely, that's like the, the format that I always think about whenever I'm talking about. That's how I explain Flesh and Blood Draft actually to a lot of Magic players. And I know that that's not a very popular way to do it. It's not a really, like, might not be the most attractive way, but I just got to, like, manage expectations because a lot of times it does feel like that.
2: Is. Sorry, I'm going to steal some bit of thunder here, Brendan. I want to I have a question for Michael that I feel like is really important before we move forward because I think it's going to yeah. dictate some of the, the future discussions we have about Uprising Draft. Is yeah. 14 cards in this format a positive or a negative per pack?
1: I think it's a super negative. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why i like to i'm saying uprising is tight um it's just you get punished very quickly uh, and very easily um and that's also why i say this the format isn't as beginner friendly as i would like um and i think that if you draft it a lot you just have this like huge self-awareness of how tight the slots are um and for the people that are truly trying to stay open and not like just forcing a hero which we'll probably talk about during the podcast um like you have a very limited, you do have some like wiggle room, but it's very limited and you have to be really strategic about it.
2: Yeah, I wanted to preface before we got into it to talk about this, because I actually think the more and more I think about this format, 14 versus 15 cards and other formats, is it's one of the biggest things about Uprising. And it's one of the things that make it most difficult to draft. It's one of the things that are giving you this, uh, these, these early decision points that are so important because, and Michael, maybe you can elaborate on this or Brendan, if you want to, like three cards out of a draft, it doesn't sound like that much, right? Like, I oh, mean, anyway, three cards different. But if you think about it, three cards, that could be having to decide what you're going to draft three picks earlier, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can result in you having to play, you know, one, two, crack balls potentially in your deck if the draft doesn't go the way you want it to. And if the yeah. earlier and earlier you have to make decisions, the less information you have about cards coming around the table, mm-hmm. uh, about what the person to your right is, is drafting, right? And if everyone feels the same way, yeah. everyone could be making decisions a lot earlier than maybe you would in other formats.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just crazy. Um Flesh and Blood, you actually have to play and draft 30 cards to an extent, give or take. Obviously with, you know, Phoenix Flames, it's a little bit less. Uh Magic, you just have to draft like 23. Cause like you'd present 40 card decks, but you roughly would present like have like 17 lands. But in Flesh and Blood, you actually have to draft those resource cards. So like having three less cards is like huge. Um it's I, I don't really like it. I wish that they were these were also 15 card packs.
0: What's hey, it? You... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it feels noticeably worse than 15 card packs, but I also don't think that take is very controversial. And I'd be very surprised to hear anybody say that they thought it felt better from a draft experience perspective. Um, there was something you said that I want to sort of riff off of, which mentioned staying open. What does it mean to stay open in Uprising? Is this picking um, Phantasm Breakers like Brothers in Arms? Is it picking Oasis Respite? Or is it maybe picking the Red Aether Ice Fane? as your, your pack one pick one because you know it's a powerful card and uh, an Icelander or the Spellfire Cloak or maybe a necria or something like that what does it mean to stay open and how long can you do it?
1: Like I consider all the cards that you just said like cards that I would take and I could still consider myself quote unquote staying open um, and I think when I say staying open I just mean like mentally like I have not mentally committed to a hero in this draft yet I've taken a Necrea. the next pack I look at it and I take a blue Aether Ice Fane that I'm I'm I don't feel uncomfortable. I feel very like I still still feel like I can three out this pod. You know what I mean? Um, even into like pick six, I'm still like looking at the pack. If I don't get a signal, uh, or I don't get any, I hate saying the word signal. I, I want to say something else. Like I just like don't get any um identifiers in the pack of like something that someone else took. Like you know, there's the back is a three two two split, and it's still like a two 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 split. So they could have my the, the five people passing to me they could have taken a common but i don't know which one and then like it's missing two generics missing a rare missing a foil missing an equipment and i just like can't figure out what people are taking yet i'm still comfortable at that point it's around pick seven the pack right before i get my wheel is usually when i start making like a judgment call
0: mm-hmm. how much do you value the wheel in this format
1: um i didn't value it much at the beginning but i valued it a ton right now because i will like the first pack i actually think that there's not enough time in call drafts for the very first like the first two or three picks right now we're getting i think 55 seconds and i think i'm like just enough it's just, like just enough it's a little tight for me because i am staring at my first pack even if i have like so like i consider sasha Sandy kai like a windmill slam i'm super happy to pack one pick one that but even if i have that i'm like staring at the rest of the pack And just trying to like trying my best because I'm not very good at memorizing. So I'm trying my best to like remember everything so that the moment I get a wheel, I just like can mentally kind of build a picture of what was taken, if that makes sense. And that helps me a lot because um, it's like the first few picks that really push people in a single direction, like even the first couple picks. To the people that I'm passing to might send them into five. And I have no like like it doesn't matter what I do in pick seven, eight, nine, ten, they're gonna be five players because in the, the first six pe- picks they're taking five cards. Like that's sometimes just gonna happen. And I just kind of need to mentally prepare for that. So the wheel is really important to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Talk to but me
1: um, talk to me about the evolution
0: of that ideology, right? You said that you didn't value it as much in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. what changed your mind specifically?
1: I think like part of it was just like figuring out <laughs> the pack breakdown and just Having a better like familiarity with that, and being able to know like, oh, like this is what I had. So like, this is what the wheel looks like. Um, I think the other part is I have a keen sense of trying to set up a cooperative partner either on my right or my left. Sometimes it's great; both my right and my left are cooperative partners. A.K.A. We're not drafting the same hero. Uh, sometimes I can only set that up with one of the one of the two. But I'm always in now in uprising draft. I'm trying to set up a situation where at least one of these pack two or pack three, I have at least one person directly across from me who's not drafting the hero I'm in, um, and I'm like actively trying to set up that cooperation. Like I'm like I'm not trying to bamboozle the guy I'm passing to. So I'm not trying to hook him in and then then trick him. I do want to actually cooperate um, to some extent.
2: Not team draft.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not team draft. It's not team draft exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I wanted yeah. to. Uh, ask you about because you talked about identifiers and you know the wheel of the pack and um, a lot of people will be familiar with them but you know if they're not do you want to just tell us a bit about what those identifiers are Michael like what is the the pack distribution and uprising I know uh, you've talked about in your own pod I think we've discussed a little bit Brendan but maybe just for the audience Michael just to recap what some of those identifiers are for you
1: yeah for sure Um, so the first three cards of every uprising pack is some mix of generic ice and draconic Mm -hmm. And when I say ice, I just mean straight up just ice action. So like Cold Snap, for example, not ice wizard, not any like not wizard, just ice um, from we've opened a lot of packs at this point, And I also have a box opening channel and I, and I do live streams where I open a lot of them. So I feel like I've opened enough to say with confidence that there's always a generic. If there isn't, it's a print like anomaly. Like it, that's not what was intended. So in the first three, always one generic. And then the other two cards can be another generic and draconic or some permutation of generic draconic ice or generic generic ice or generic generic draconic after that the fourth card is an equipment um it's always going to be common just some common equipment there's only so many um i don't know if there's something you also want to talk about we'll just talk about pack breakdowns now but we've also opened enough packs also do box collation so for example that common equipment there's usually two common equipment of every single kind that will be opened in a in a Booster, sealed booster display of 24 packs. Uh, With some exceptions, some will have three. Rarely will one ever have just one, and that's not including the foils. So that's just something, I don't know, a little cherry on top. We can talk about that. You can ask me more questions about that later. Um, The fifth card is a rare, always a rare. The sixth card is a rare or better, so that could be your majestic. Um, The seventh card is your foil, and that's half of the pack. And then the other half of the pack is... What well, the generic com sorry the the class specific commons. So it's a two two three split, ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time. There are definitely exceptions, and those exceptions happen in roughly one in every two cases. Uh, and those are once again, I think they're print es- print errors or just not by design. Um, the two two three split is two draconic illusionists or two draconic ninja plus two ice center cards, and one of those uh, three heroes will get an extra bonus common card. Yeah, but even then, there's a collation thing where, per display, on average, 16 of every 24 boosters, the two-two-three split, the three will be Icelander. Um, just something we've noticed. And then, oh, so at 16, so there's eight packs left, and roughly it's four and four for the other heroes. But like a very, very high percentage chance that the 2, two, two, two three split will have a third Icelander card.
2: Yeah, but no yeah. thanks, so Mike. I think it's really a lot of people have talked about it as being an important part of yeah. this draft, more than I've yeah. heard in any yeah. uh, flesh and blood draft yeah. so far. This idea of understanding Absolutely. distribution because of Absolutely. the three heroes. And I honestly think the biggest part of it, people are really to understand, is 14 versus 15 cards. And that comes back to why I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you that at the start, yeah. because yeah. it's like I say, it makes your decision have to happen earlier. Um, one of my favorite things to do, I don't know if you do this, Michael or Bruno, one of my favorite yeah. things to do is. At the end of a draft, before everyone starts to move away, I'm just like, okay, i just like to recap, you know, what what is the person on my left? I'm pretty yeah. sure they're fire. I'm pretty sure the person downstream from them is in Iceland. I'm pretty sure the person to my right is in yeah. Droma, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, try and understand, did I draft my seat the way I thought I did? Like you were saying before, trying to have these cooperative partners. Am I in the seat I thought I was in? Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. sometimes, you know, it doesn't play out. Often you find yeah. this out pretty pretty quickly, right? Pack two, you yeah. find those identifiers. You realize, actually, I thought I put this person to my left on fire. There's a yep. there's a wizard nope. card in yeah. this pack. Actually, yep. not what I thought happened.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I I somewhat enjoy doing that. I think for me, it, uh, at this point it's very clear. It, by pack three, it's like super clear. Usually, what's going on, uh, and by the end of pack two, I already kind of know what the person that's passing to me is. Is it's usually like the wild cards are like the two seats away from me, people, because sometimes I I, I have less. The further you're away from me, like the less control I have, and the less like signaling that you can give me um like i did a draft where i am a phi dromai is passing to me icelanders passing to the dromai another is passing the icelander and after me it's just a train of four fives so like uh, that's a good one to go off um, of
0: so i want to ask you do you think the general fab community has the right idea regarding the format and specifically i mean the meme of forcing fi.
1: Uh so I think that if you are not that experience of uprising, and this is literally advice I give people that like at my LGS or whatever, I'm like, for your first draft, just force five. Just do it. Um you'll learn a lot of fundamentals. The best way you can learn how to play Icelander is an Icelander B2, a couple times. And you'll get you'll understand what tempo is playing that game out, um, or lack thereof. Um Phi is super easy to draft, lowest requirements floor is really low. Uh it's just like I don't think it's I don't think the community is wrong in the sense that forcing five is somewhat of a strategy. Um I just do think that at the top tables, once you get to the top or, like upper tables, uh one of the reasons why forcing fi isn't as good is is like the moment two people or three people in a pot are forcing five, like you can really win that pod just playing drumai or Icelander. Like you have like it can't be something that you just can't do you know what i mean like if if you're forcing Phi or you have like a bias towards Phi and it's like pack one pick three and there are no five commons left in the pack like you need to be able that's like that is your draft to win and if you don't if you don't have the reps on dromai and icelander uh it's just like you're just throwing away wins so um i don't think the community is that wrong i i don't want to criticize and and like patronize because i do think that Fi is just super strong i i told this story actually um i uh Yenji and i uh, Tack for 20 get, get started in the michael hamilton roger Bodie, the manor pat test earlier this week um and i told this story at utrecht we had a magic player or a friend of a friend who's a, a former current magic player still magic player who just started learning like two weeks ago and in our all we test drafted at night and we did some drafts side event drafts and he just forced Fly every time he's like all i know is how to play Fly. i don't know how to play dromai i don't know how to play icelander i'm just going to force Fly until i die and he played in the battle hardened, made top eight, which is not easy. There were like 100 people. You have to three o 0 your first pod, two0 your next pod and lose in the finals. That's the only people at top eight that battle hardened. Um, and I'm like, you know, there's some efficacy to this. Are you going to always win? Maybe not, but I, I think it's like hard to like go 03, forcing five.
0: How do you see? What do you think a pod can support in terms of hero representation? Um, How many flies? How many Icelanders? How many Germans? For the decks to be decent.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm going to answer your question, but then I'm going to also have a disclaimer after that. So, in terms of what I think, uh, I I still kind of stick by what, like a number I kind of threw at you when you were at at, over at my place, and that's the 1.5, 2.5, 3.5 theory. And that's every pod can support 1.5 Dromai's, 2.5 Icelanders, and 3.5 Phy's that are all like decent. Or the way I like to say it actually is that's how many players worth of card, uh, quality cards there are per pod. Um, and Dromai is the least because Dromai has like uh, like kind of the most amount of, in my opinion, kind of dead cards. Um, they either don't block like sand cover Yellow um, or they only block two like a like a yellow skittering sand like those are kind of like cards just like i don't want them in my dromae deck but if you're like the third dromai you're gonna have to play some of them just to kind of get by i i feel like there's 2.5 pools it could be arguable that that 2.5 is closer to two but i like to say 2.5 because i a lot of times you can block with almost everything you have a lot more block 3s There they're a lot there's just no sand cover sand cover is kind of the biggest like to me the biggest uh uh culprit um Cause there's going to be seven ish sand covers per pod. And it's just like, I don't know. Sometimes they're just like crack bobbles. Um, And then, you know, five, like you can support 3.5. And if any of these, if you're like the second dromai, there's going to be some tension, but you can still have good decks at that point. Here's my disclaimer. You could have two draw and you could have one draw that's just an unplayable deck. Mm-hmm. And you could have one draw that has like a nuts deck. Like there are 1.5 draw my pools of cards that are going to be in the 24 packs. But depending on luck, depending on positioning, um one of them could just get just get them. Like it does not even like who's passing to who like the seating. Like it could be like one of them is downstream, but in pack 2, the Necria, the Red Rakes, the Red Ember balls those are all open and then just they're just feasting on them, right? Like it's uh that's like a little bit of a luck thing. But I do think that like I I'm still standing by the 1.5, 2.5, 3.5 in terms of actual sheer numbers
2: there's also a a piece around just average pack distribution and mm-hmm. you know take take Iceland for example you talked about 2.5 maybe it's closer to 2.25 what do you want to say right in terms yeah, of that but yeah yeah some drafts you know <clears throat> there's going to be slightly more yellow cards some drafts there's mm-hmm. going to be slightly less yellow cards and that's going to dictate that kind of to an extent right like it's mm-hmm. not it's yeah. not massive because even across 24 packs distribution should even out to some degree there's mm-hmm. enough cards mm-hmm. that you start to get like closer to a, a, a mean average but you know, there is that that plays into it a little bit to some degree, right? Like the, it's not it's not cut and dry. Every single draft and 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 then add in where everyone sat in terms yep. of that as well.
1: So it's actually uh, that's not something I get too tilted by. I think nowadays I I, I used to the first couple of times I was trying to draft ice center, I'd be like, why? Like I open a pack, legit, no lie, six yellow ice center cards. Yep. Like both the rares were yellow. There were three in the back, and then the 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 one the first three cards was a yellow cold snap, and I was just like. Like I don't want any of this now. I I'm gonna wheel this. I'm in Iceland already. It's like pack two. And I, so I you know, I just take the yellow block threes. But like what well, we've this kind of discovered just from opening a lot of packs and kind of just collating the cards, like it's actually like pretty consistent. Like it's only plus one. Minus one, in terms of like the number of blues, yellows, and reds you're going to see for all the different heroes at the common level, if like rares foils will all I guess we're we never count that because that those are just wild cards. um but at the common level, it's very consistent. So if you open a pack of yellows, there are going to be some reds, there are going to be blues. you're going they're going to be in the pod. You might not see them based off lock and your seating, but they should be in there um and 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 actually, this is one of the things that. Um, I think is a little bit more advanced in terms of drafting uprising, and it's going to be it's going to be applicable to drafting any of the other flesh and blood formats as long as they continue with this type of collation. But like in pack one, if you're drafting fi and the pop the packs just are just like blue yellow, like you open a blue yellow, you get past the blue yellow fi cards. There's going to be some packs that have reds, like it's it's it just so happens not yet, and so that's why I think like people that actually force fi. Get a little edge there, because packs that look like complete garbage for Phi in the first pack um, might not necessarily be bad to just take those blues if you really want to hedge and be in Phi. Um, yeah, basically, collation is a thing. Um, if there's a lot of yellows, don't fret too much. If you kind of stick to it, there will be blues and reds. Just make sure that you're actually kind of in that open seat.
2: Yeah, so unfortunately, it might be in the packs that you don't want them to be in, but that yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's back distribution is going to happen. Yeah, agree.
0: Yeah, been on the uh, been on the wrong end of that one. Um, so I guess this is taking a break from the more eloquent uh breakdowns of the format. Let's go super simple here. How would you rank the heroes in terms of power in terms of power level?
1: Oh, so this is gonna be so. Fr- I actually think. A really good Dromai deck will win the pod. So I don't know if I can give Dromai first place in terms of a rank, but Dromai breaks the rules the most, just has the most raw damage potential. So, like, a really good Dromai deck, in my opinion, will just win the pod. It's just like almost oppressive, in my opinion. To me, I would put Phi second, which is kind of sad because now I've just said that both Draconic heroes are kind of like in the top tier um and that's because of the consistency um and less so because of like oppressive like power spikes it's just consistency like if i can deal 11 to 14 damage very consistently 11 if you're like literally starting the blue sometimes um no other hero in uprising can do that i actually rank eye the last but that doesn't mean that like you can't throw a pod of I center i've seen that a lot actually um but I think I is like has the highest degree of things can potentially go wrong. Um, like the Icelander deck really needs a decent amount of blues um, or like some red zero for threes. Um, but you have kind of like this really dichotomate dichotomous or you have this really weird matchup um, spectrum where against Romai, like no matter how good of a player you are, sometimes you just lose. And it's very frustrating i think that's like one of the most frustrating parts of, of the format by the way it's like even losing the dice roll as phi in a Fi mirror isn't as frustrating to when they just have uvia on turn two and you as an Icelander, like your entire draft you never saw a popper and you have to like i don't know you might have like a yellow scar for scar and that's like the only way you can kill the uvia and you're gonna get fatigued like if you don't kill it like in the next two turns it's just like so hard not to get to fatigue so i, I don't know like i that's that's kind of the way i rank it but in actual draft i'm like not um like disappointed to be Icelander. but icender is also really scary to draft and that's because of the two two three split um i have to take a leap of faith sometimes that Icelander is either open or not open because a signal that an Icelander drafter would give to you if they're passing immediately to you is you would see two 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 in the back because they likely took one of the commons. And but they might have taken a ninja common. Like you don't really know. Um but 16 out of 24 of the time they did. So that that kind of just makes me a little scared. So two thirds out of time if they're, they're they're potentially an Icelander. Uh usually that's good enough for me. So that pack one, pick six, pick seven, if I still see two two two, I'm taking the best Drome or the mm-hmm. best Uh, five card if there isn't a really good role my card they're both yellows i'm taking the blue five card like that's kind of like my um just kind of like evaluation of a draft at that at that stage
0: yeah how do you um how important is equipment in this format and which pieces are the the best or most impactful
1: okay so equipment is something i feel like i can talk about really really well i feel like we've drafted enough to a point where um i feel really comfortable talking about some of what i'm saying like i don't like I, I, I won't say that everything I say I don't have that much confidence, but with equipment, I feel really confident of how I feel. Um, I think equipment is extremely important. But uh, there's kind of like this tier list. So Sash of Sandikai is kind of like God tier. Uh, I have literally did a draft where I opened Flamescale Furnace Rainbow Foil, and there was a Sash of Sandikai, and I was still thinking. That's, that's how important it is to me. Even though Flamescale Furnace blocks like two and one, there are hands that just are like so much more playable. You can win straight games off of Sash. Um, to me, it's just like the most important piece. Like, if I'm drafting Draconic, that's like the number one checkbox. If I get that pack one, pick one, I'm so happy. Um, I feel invincible, actually. I feel like I can win the pod just from that. Um, Spellfire Cloak is actually, to me, like a couple of steps below some of the other equipment. Um, and that's partially because I do think that Ice is a little bit scarier to draft. Um, I'm not, I never am kind of looking to force Ice sender. Unless I like, really know the people in my pod really well and they're all like dirty five foresters. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I just, it's just the way the drafts have been working for me. I typically am not like, as excited to pack one, pick one, a Spellfire Cloak. The actual second common equipment that I really, really like is Heat Wave. Um, because if we're assuming that there's like three or four fives per pod and, uh, and I kind of alluded to this and I'm kind of mentioning it again now. But the average collation of a box is about two. Occasionally, very occasionally, about two to three of the equipment will actually have three copies. Um, if you see a heat wave and you have any inkling of wanting to be in phi, you should take it because their ad max will be another, and it's very unlikely you'll ever see it again because there's going to be at least there's usually going to be like three fives, maybe even four in your pod. So those two equipment to me are on a tier above everything else, um, just because it's just like you're not going to like randomly get them. Whereas a, like for example, silent stilettos or um, silken form which i think is also numerically very strong those are cards that if like if you are doing things right and everyone on the table is evaluating cards correctly like there's usually like one or two drum maybe two maybe three but that's actually a card possible that you'll actually kind of wheel um or not wheel but like kind of get late um in terms of actual numerical like numbers the equipment are like huge um like quell at the very least is usually you can get like an iron rot worth of value, which is a lot more value than you could get from anything from tales of aria minus like mark of lightning. Um, but like heat wave, sometimes you're getting plus two. That's like a, like a goliath gauntlet. That's really good. This format's really tight. A lot of the games are decided by one or two health. Um, if your equipment is giving you like a plus two advantage in any any direction, it's just like ginormous. Um, and also the another thing I think another reason why I think equipment is important is. You only have three actual slots. Um, unless you're Icelander, and you're playing the Glacial Headpiece, which is also another piece I think is super low. Like that's like, I've seen Icelanders just like pass that because they don't even want it sometimes. Although I think that might be incorrect. Um, I think equipment's really important. I think the reason why is because they're often giving you plus one, plus two, and if you can just like if you draft Quell and you can make a manufacturer situation where you can make that basically an Iron Rot. Like, that's like you started the game at 21, and these are, like, the small advantages, which so just like, ginormous in um, Limited, especially once you get to, like, the more competitive day two blah, blah, blah scenarios.
2: Why, Michael, why is Heatwave, you know, I think this is a question people would ask themselves, why is Heatwave so, heat so high on your list when you have something like Quelling Sleeves? Is that not a, a direct replacement in your eyes?
1: Sure, for sure. Um So Heatwave, oh, Heatwave is, like, the easiest to in my opinion to get plus 2 uh value from. So all the quell like it's so hard to get more than plus 2 and what i mean by plus 2 is like you you would have played a normal turn out and in that normal turn you were going to attack with two phoenix flames if you pop the heat wave in that turn you get plus 2 more damage that turn with the heat wave but most quelling equipment um like it's really hard to manufacture a situation where you're you're getting more than one health advantage and so like, a good example of how to get one health advantage is you have a blue that blocks two. And, you know, the very first attack that a Afai does to you, you, like, quell, and you actually use all three resources. Well, you got that blue card to block three when it normally would have blocked two. And that sometimes is game. Like, actually, and I, I think, like, 30% of my games are decided by someone correctly identifying a quell situation, using it, and having that one life advantage or I noticed that my opponent did not quell and they could have and this could have been a totally different game even though it's like only a one life swing like if you can make quell just like it's like that meme uh corporate wants to identify the difference between quell and like iron rod if you can make that the same that's usually good enough um obviously against Icelander it's a little bit different but usually against the two Draconic heroes like like you're just trying to manufacture situations where that's a thing now if you're playing five mirrors sometimes you just like it just never is relevant. That that's definitely possible. Because of that, Heat Wave is just so much more flexible. Like you're gonna have a situation. Almost every single five limited deck will have a situation where they have two um, Phoenix Flames. Sometimes it's just because you have another Phoenix Flame in your deck. You're playing at least two, and you draw it. To me, that's like it's go go time. Let's get my hand on the Heat Wave. We're ready to go. You know, like um, just that plus two is just huge. So I don't know if that answers your question.
2: Yeah, I think I, I led the witness a little bit on that one, but that's the answer I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting conversation because to to me, quell is like the most interesting mechanic we've had mm-hmm, on a piece of equipment mm-hmm. in this game so far, and it's one that I just really like to to talk about and have these discussions about because it is. I think it's a unique place to be in a limited format to have this piece of equipment that if you you know you have the quelling sleeves it's a quell only right how do you make the best decision on those or cutting slippers or whatever it is and then you have this other piece of equipment that has these decision points yeah, built in yeah. of like heatwave and I, I i love that so yeah i think that's a great answer thanks michael awesome all
0: right so before we get into the heroes michael i just want to ask you um, about going second in this format how important is it and what are the exceptions
1: well i think it's really important um I think there should be a really good reason why you would want to go first. Um, I think one of the other things you should think about is not only do I want to go first or second, or, and also, sorry, it's not just, do I want to go first or second? It's also, does my opponent want to go first or second? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I say, hey, I just want to go second every time. And they're mm-hmm. like, but why? Like, I'm playing Iceland. They're like, I, I kind of want to go first, Arsenal, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't want the five to go second is like, like the retort I'll give. And I like so like for example when I'm playing ice center I actually prefer to go second. Um, when I'm against five I just don't want them to go second. I don't want them to have a turn against me where I'm like kind of having to decide between blocking and not blocking to in order to have another turn on my end. Um, I think Helios Meter really changes that equation. If that card did not exist, if I'm playing ice center I always want to go first. I know that they're gonna only have one arcane barrier. I know they're gonna have some quell. Great, you make the music quell right now, right? Like, but Helios Meter being free just changes that equation for me, and so almost in every matchup I want to go second. The only exception I have, and I'm not even 100% sure on this, though I'm, let's call it 95% sure, is the Ice Lender Mirror. Um, I think as Ice Under Mirror I think you want to go first. Um, this is partially because uh, most normal Ice Under decks can only really deal damage via their weapon and Arcane, they they won't have drafted too many attack actions. And so Helios Miter is actually a really important part of the equation. Um, especially preventing like an Aether Ice Fane trigger which sometimes can be backbreaking but also just kind of bailing you out when you have like an all blue hand, you're being attacked by a red um, and you're like i just rather would, I cannot actually deal damage with this hand, I just want to pitch to miter and, and go to the next hand um, that's like the only exception, otherwise I think it's a go second format um, I even if I'm playing Dromai and I go against a fi, and the is like oh I don't want you to set up a dragon whatever and they Somehow make me go second. I'm like stoked. Mm-hmm. So, all right.
0: So heading into Fi, uh, I had kind of had a my first bullet point. In a lot of these being potential archetypes, but I think we discussed the top of the pod, and most of us probably agree that the archetypes are really just Fi, Icelander, and Jermai. Dr- Dr- I think Jermai, Dr- you can maybe have a, a choice between picking up Centipies mm-hmm. or picking up dragons sometimes, but other than that. Yeah. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen, seen too many different archetypes per se.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it's like a little bit of playstyle. Um, Dromite and Isender both have a little bit more flexibility. Uh, I, I really enjoy actually uh, part of Utrecht. I played against like three Dromites. And one of the first Dromites I played against, I had a feeling I actually asked them mid game, I was like, how many cards do you present? And they were like, I presented 36. And I was like, I see, I see. Because um, they were blocking like every turn, like aggressively blocking. I would attack for two to the block of three and mm-hmm. that immediately tells me okay the rest of their hand is just all three blocks and they just red dust up me after that like uh i really enjoy that there are kind of different play styles but that's kind of at the mercy of the way you draft he was also playing like the ember moss like his, like a play cycle was yeah. like he would block with two cards block six and just red ember Moth on me that was that was the whole thing all he was trying to do um and that was like i did the math and i was like you got 14 total like block or deal damage from your four cards and i was attacking with like yellows and blues and like barely getting like eight like my entire turn was like eight damage and he would just two card hit me yeah
0: kind of reminds me of uh the old old him sort of mm-hmm. deck the uh, mm-hmm. three for seven yeah similar similar yep, play yep. style so yep. regarding phi what do you see as some of like the key cards? And I guess you can add a sort of addendum onto the answer with what cards are you passed later in the,
1: in the pack? So you're
0: like, Oh my God, this hero's open.
1: <laughs> I think the only real answer to that, to the, what, what cards I'm passed kind of later in the pack. And I feel like the hero is open is I just get past like a five blue because I feel like at this point, everyone, like everyone, even like a first time drafter will know that like. A red Ronin Renegade or a red soaring strike. Like that's like a top tier pick. If somehow I'm past one of those, it's like pick one pack one, pick I want to say like seven. That is like al- alarms go off. I'm like, what is going on? I and I I mean I, I would recommend doing this every single pack in the first pack. I'm like counting like what has been taken from this pack so far, right? Um and if I somehow do the count and I'm like, I have a high there's a high chance that there's like two icelanders that are passing to me which is like one of the only re- ways that you'd get like a red starter go again uh starter in that late of a pick i'm like okay i'm in the five spot and i start thinking actually i don't know if this is this is kind of deeper than you get what you were asking but immediately i start thinking is the guy i'm passing to also on five at this point like have i been giving him five signals like if i haven't been already kind of taking fire cards and if i'm like uh maybe maybe not I mean, at that point, it doesn't matter. It's like, I'm going to take the five card as well, but I'm just trying to think, I emotionally p- prepare myself for pack two. Um, uh, that's like the, the main thing. Like a five blue is usually like a really good indicator. Uh, I think that those are underdrafted right now because um, I often find that if you have Tide Flippers and you have like a good density of blues, like 11 or 12, you can make the Ice Lander matchup a so much smoother. Like the best way to win is just on average have 1.5 blues in your hands. And you're just like, they give you some frostbites, you have two blues in your hand, you've, counter, you've countered their Arctic incarceration. So um, I really value having blues. I have no problem. I've entered pack three as a FI drafter. I have like one red starter, but I have like nine blues, and I'm like, I feel very comfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. And what do you think about for key cards for FI? Uh,
1: I think you need like at least the bare minimum four red starters. Uh, which, if you think about it, if you're drawing four cards, you presented 29 cards, right? If you have four red starters, you're getting one every other hand. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if I so, I had a deck that had four red starters. I drew three of them with my first hand. I did not attack. I arsenaled one of them. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. I'm not attacking with this hand. So uh, I think four red starters is like, like, like if we're talking about a recipe, that's like the bare minimum. If you even want to have a cake that even bakes, like you need to have four red starters you're going to have some yellow starters if, if that's the case but like the four red starters are the turns that you actually deal damage to your opponent if they're trying to block um they're the turns that you you ideally uh that's your pivot turn so to speak um because the, the the decks that i draft that are five decks that i'm like oh, this is kind of a train wreck i kind of pivot into like pack two uh, i don't have that many starters Ideally, you have a lot of block threes and you're just kind of blocking until you draw the hand. You're like, this is a 15 damage, 16 damage, whatever hand, like go, 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 heat wave, kind of take back tempo. So that's the first uh recipe or our ingredient. The other ingredient is just blues, just like a good amount of blues. Every time you're not pitching a blue when you're playing five, it's like you just neg three yourself. Because most of the time when you pitch a blue, that means you also get an Ember Blade. But if you pitch a red, it's like the same turn, just no Ember Blade. And if you pitch a yellow, hopefully you have a Sash, but like, like the yellows are all in a really weird spot. I think early on in the format, I was pretty high on cards like Yellow Brand of Cinderclaw, Yellow the whole line of zero cost yellows. I'm still like not like too disappointed to draft them, but they've gotten a lot worse now because of having to pitch them. But if you're drafting Fi and you're in like pack three, and you like you should know by before pack three when you do your pack review how many blues you have and how many starters. If you have nine of blues, take the blues. But once you hit that nine or ten level, these yellow brand of Cinder Claws are ju- like they're just good enough. It's just good enough. Um, but really, if I just would give you ingredients like the way I would look at your draft deck, if you give me a draft, like hey, like rate my deck. First thing I do, count the red starters. I'm like, mm, you got four or five red starters. Mm, it's gonna be a little bit rough. Then I start counting your blues. Then I count your number of three blocks. Those are like the the, because if you don't have enough red starters, ideally you have three blocks to kind of buy time. And if you don't have enough three blocks, because, uh, like, the only three blocks are, like, the Draconic, like, Breaking Point, Critical Strike, um, the Draconic line of Cinder Cinder Skin Devotion and Lava Vein Loyalty. Those are just, like, nice. they just, like, block three. You just kind of, like, yeah. I mean, your opponent, if you're, but I'm, I'm almost always, by the way, uh, all of these matchups, thinking about the Five Mirror. Uh, because I feel like, statistically, you're going to face the Five Mirror more often than any other matchup. And so that should be the one that you're like the most mentally prepared for. Um, But yeah, in terms of recipes, I think it's just like those three elements. And in fact, you can even shorten it. It's just two elements, starters and and blues.
0: What sort of ratios do you look for? You mentioned, uh, you know, drafting blues, of course, but, and of course the four, the four is the base minimum for, for red starters. But what about just resource ratios in general? How many blues uh, specifically do you think that deck uh, needs to be good?
1: yeah so this is something that we kind of just did back uh built it backwards, came up with backwards. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but basically we you want a blue every hand. do you want two blues? No, so if you want to have a blue every hand, you're presenting twenty nine cards that's roughly like eight, right mm-hmm. like seven i guess seven between seven and eight is what you would like. um, so eight's kind of like for me like the gold standard like I want to have eight blues in my deck. I don't care what they could literally say anything on them um Ideally, they block three, so that if I ever draw two blues, I can block with one of them and still get three points of value. Um, but they don't have to. Uh, but that's that's kind of like the base for blues. After that, as many reds as possible. That's that's the only way I can describe it. Like, every yellow you have and every yellow you're, you're forced to attack with and every yellow that doesn't block three is just negative one in some direction or capacity, right? So... Um, I think that's the cleanest answer I can do yeah. for ratios.
0: I think the, the big question I have, and I think it's a, a lot of people are split on this one, but how many Phoenix Flames are you playing in your five deck?
1: So uh, I have played, I've ran the whole gamut. I've played one, I've played two, and I've played three. Um, the stronger my five decks are, the fewer Phoenix Flames I typically will play. Um, the more Phoenix Flame, cards that literally say the word Phoenix Flame on them, like Draconic cards or the Rise Up from the Ashes, Uh, the more I have, the more Phoenix Flames I want to play. Um, Playing Phoenix Flames, as long as you, as a player, realize that there is a cost to playing them, this card does not block. It only attacks for one. Occasionally, it attacks for zero, which means you're burning a card just to give your weapon go again. Which, by the way, in Welcome to Wraith, that was actually a thing. You would actually burn a card to give your weapon go again. Like, um, There's a real cost to it. So, like, I don't think it's a Windmill Slam through Phoenix Flames every single deck uh, type of format. I think that picking the spots where you can shave off a Phoenix Flame is just, like, something you kind of get from experience. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: I find myself playing, uh, wanting to play 1, but sometimes playing 2, almost never playing mm-hmm. 3. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think, for me, the reason why... Uh, so lately I've been playing more Phoenix Flames. I've been airing towards airing towards 3. It's a lot because during the draft I'm trying to stay open. I'm I'm taking cards like Soak the Flames, Flame Call Awakening. I'll even take an Inflame. I I don't I don't like any of these cards. Mm. I don't think that they're th- that good. But I really enjoy kind of being in this weird like I stay open. Inflame is like very fine in Dromai. It's just like whatever. I just it it does the job. Sometimes that's just what I want. It's a red. a pitch. Um, I'll take like Inflame over like Yellow Skittering Sands, for example. Um. We just I just end up having these cards that kind of synergize with Phoenix Flames. And also kinda is this thing where um pods that I'm not really familiar with the people, um, I'm trying to stay open. I wanna be in the open lane. I wanna be rewarded, uh, I wanna be cooperative. Um What I'm trying to tell you is I'm not forcing five, but ugh. The results when I was at Utrecht, I only drafted Phi and I just felt like I felt like I was correct. Like I would always have like an Icelander draw my passing to me, but I just I don't know. People said Yandi kept saying that I was forcing it, but
2: I. What draft you for the record, I want to say? Michael was drafting a seat. That's what Michael says, and he's sticking to oh, it. I just
1: ended up being in Fi all the time. <laughs> I do. I do have like a slight bias towards Fi. Like I feel like you kind of have to knock me off Phi for me to go off of it because I feel like it's like one of the more consistent decks. Um, but I have not drafted. it. I have looked at the packs and I'm like, I know what's going on. Like there's like at least one or two five drafters, but I typically like going to draft. Like I'm very comfortable in that seat. Um, but I highly recommend that if you have never drafted Dromai or Ice Center, please do it, because at Utrecht Day One, there was one Ice Center in my pod. He was the one that was passing to me, and I watched him play a game, and I was like, "There's no way he's winning this game." Like he pitched a yellow to like play a blue Aether hail from his arsenal. Then pitched another yellow to Waning Moon. Did nothing with the resource. Still has like two blues in his hand. I'm like, "What is going on?" Could have blocked one of them.
2: It's... So. Those heroes, I think, like, once you play them and, and learn the play patterns and stuff, they, they yeah. can be super rewarding, especially if you're oh, one yeah. at the table. Like, if you have the reps on it, you, you should be majority of the time yeah. winning your, your pods, I think. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, if, if you
1: Yeah, he beat someone or he lost to the person that ended up playing the finals. And that was a five player who's a fifth five with me. He had two cracked bobbles in his deck. Like, yeah. that five had two Crack bobbles in his deck, still beats the one. I, anyways, you gotta. Yeah, it's... it's just a thing. Yeah.
2: It's ripped. Like I want to say before we move off Fi, I completely agree with you what you said at the top of the show. I think Fi, if you uh unfamiliar with this format, fantastic starting point. Like yeah. it's it's it really is fundamentals of flesh and blood in terms of just pure output of numbers for your resources. Yeah. It, but what I will say is the, the discourse around, you know, like force fire is the correct strategy in every single draft pod, I completely disagree with. I think all three of the heroes are strong. You you rank Drome potentially the strongest. Um, you know, I, I, I personally feel that all three of the heroes can mm-hmm. win a pod. And it oh, comes yeah. down to distribution of numbers, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm fully on board with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think like maybe I answered it kind of not what you guys were thinking, but to me, it's like she forced me to rank them. I'm just thinking, what is the highest of high rolls, highest of ceilings, and that yeah. to me is like a just like a nuts draw my deck. Like, every turn, you're just outputting damage in a way that's just cheating the power curve
2: of Flesh and Blood. Mm-hmm. So, I wouldn't always put words in your mouth. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> let's talk about that deck, and let's head into Jermai. So what what is this nuts Jermai deck? How do you draft it? What cards are you looking
1: Like, to me, what's really nuts would be a turn where you had one card that you either block, or you just make a chromile with an Ash that you set up the turn before, and then you go Doombreaker, red, and Vermont, red. That's a 16 damage turn with four red cards. That's getting four points of value from each card. That's like something Fi can't just can't do. Like the only way Phi does that is using engulfing flame wave, hitting a, like a zero cost and then attacking with that. Like it's like, but that's like all commons for like a my player. Blocking up one card, then just pitching up blue, going uh, Doombreaker, Um Embermall. Th- that's just like every time you attack with a, with a Doombreaker or an Embermall, you're getting basically plus two um in terms of power curve like you're effectively your opponent's at two less life because like your opponent if they're kind of like a fi and they attack you with brothers in arms like that's like optimal for them but they're only getting six and you're getting eight from your ember the the script of course gets changed if they have poppers but we're just talking like high high roll like like highest potential damage i think good draw my decks um have a good mix of both these centipies and rakes so they're kind of attacking you at two, two different angles. They have these big attacks that really punish you for not committing cards to block, but then they have these small attacks, like when you, um, even like a yellow rake, like that's just really annoying. Like you're going to take a couple of points damage, you're leaking some damage, and now on your, po- on your turn, like, unless you're, you know, one of those little ash flames will be maybe Phoenix flamed, but most often, like the other one either doesn't get touched, or it gets hit by like a two attack or something like that, and that's like introduces these efficient inefficiencies so on one hand draw strength is being able to be just over efficient hyper efficient and on the other hand forcing your opponent into these like inefficient scenarios um that's kind of the strength of draw um it's just about kind of turn after turn being able to grind out some advantage um and so for me uh the the biggest like key when i'm playing draw is i i want to extend the game like i don't want to um, shorten the game. I'm happier to block. I want to get... I want to keep the game going. I want to see... I want to have more opportunities to make Ash without taking too much damage. I want to make... Um, invoke some of the dragons I've drafted. Um, I just want to prolong the game a little bit, especially against a Fi because a Fi will run out of reds. The worse the five deck is, the, the faster they'll run out of the reds. Now they're attacking of the yellows, and then, then they're attacking the blues, and if you somehow have been able to weather the storm um, and keep being you know really diligent pitching your reds and playing oasis or sand cover just like whatever you can to prolong the game you'll get into a situation where god forbid maybe the five and whiffs like they have a turn they like you know they whiff when they're like before your turn uh pitch a blue grab a phoenix flame right and phoenix Flame weapon and you're just like yes this is like a really good situation um dromai against Ice center you want to prolong the game sometimes you just straight fatigue them if you have an Uvi in your deck um you have like if you play red rake just like don't do it just pass turn like what are they gonna do if they don't have the singe immediately they're getting basically time walked um also through my um in terms of draft obviously a lot of reds um it's funny because you might end up having less than eight blues well you'll present maybe less than eight blues but i do think that it's important to have like about at least 10 um maybe even 12 against icelander um i really think that's like the most optimal thing it's just fatiguing i said it's like so easy especially if you have the science stilettos it's it i don't know like they need singes they need the singes at the right time um all the dragons that have more than three health are just like so hard for um center to deal with and you really don't just like i think when you're playing droma into ice center you you should be careful about attacking with dragons in general um you just don't want to give them the ability to pop one of your dragons for free without using an action point quote unquote and um most a lot of times doing nothing is the correct strategy just like you you have the rake you have like four or five ashlings and you just like you know attack them with something else but then just pass priority like what are they going to do right like keep the cards in your hand they don't know if they're reds or blues pitch if they try to deal damage they don't do damage great it's now their turn now the onus is on them so
2: what do they do? Yeah, my my favorite was my road to nationals opponent on the weekend, who's as a friend of mine. Who ten of his cards in his deck were uh, a mix of sand covers, oasis Respites, and healing bombs. Oh. So that was uh, definitely that's, got fatigued.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you, as I say, it's like no chance as long as they're playing it well. And it's crazy because those are like the worst cards like in the pool against like five. I feel because there's just like yep. like you can have a hand that's just, like all sand cover oases, so, like so depressing. But I learned to just accept that that's fine as Droma. You just you block out um it's kind of like it feels like uh you're playing against like a briar of Visurai, and it's like praying please please just have a off turn but it's Fi, so like the chances of having off turn a lot less but th- it is possible it is possible especially if um i think the best draw of my decks happen because there are just a lot of fives running around cannibalizing each other so um so with your my can you talk to me just a little bit about
0: the like card priority right so not all dragons are created equal obviously we Mm -hmm. have like necria Mm -hmm. i think Yendurai is very good the ember moss and a pie like you mentioned uh so like what cards in particular really stand up for Jermai?
1: well necria definitely breaks power curve necria is like if it was a magic the gathering necria would be like a mythic Mm -hmm. um it's just a bomb and a half it's it's super efficient it's four damage it's also like kind of ish five ish health like if the numbers the stat wise just like more than any other any of the other um dragons like it's four plus seven but it's really like you know four plus five or four plus six that's ten like none like if you add the numbers for all the the dragons that are not the majestic dragons none of them add up to ten um after that i think red rake is extremely important Mm -hmm. i just i don't know i i some people have told me that they don't think it's as good and i'm like "Uh, have you played this card before against like Anyone like it's great in the mirror, it's really it's like almost like backbreaking. It's Icelander, if they don't have the singe immediately, and against five. It's still like like a pretty annoying road bump, so like I don't know. <laughs> um, after that, it's Ember Moss and a pie for me. So I think the first two red rakes are super important. It's kind of interesting, you should really not see a third red rake. Um, but at that point, depending on what you expect in terms of matchups, if you expect a lot of five, the third red rake might not be that good it's really hard to make that much ash without taking damage or giving up some type of, business, uh, some type of opportunity. Um, if you have three red rakes, it's it's to me, it's unlikely you're actually going to be able to resolve all of them for full value. Um, and maybe I'm not that experienced with Drummine, so you can call me on that. But I do think that if you are presented... This is the only scenario where I would take uh, like an Ember Maw over a red rake. It's like the third red rake for me. Um, but that's like almost in theory. It's more of a theory because it's like very hard for that to even happen. Um, after that, we actually, uh, this, is a, this is something that Yanji said, and I agree with him. We think that the embermaw Senpai line is more important than the Dunebreaker. So if you have the option to choose between Embermaw or Dunebreaker, go with the Embermaw. Um, our rationale is um, oftentimes you're not going to get too many Senpais uh, in your deck. You're going to get um, maybe like three or four of each of them at max. Usually you just get like five or six in, in total, some mix of them. And so it's unlikely that you're going to have a hand that has both Doombreaker and Embermaw um, to kind of maximize your resources. It's more likely your, ha- your turn is just like play an Embermaw, right? Like, um, Or play like a zero, like a Skittering and then Embermaw. Um, if you're not able to actually use those extra resources from like a Doombreaker, it's often just not a very efficient card. Um, if you could think of like Embermaw, Centipede as like a Doombreaker, Centipede if I'll go again, but with the plus two, and that's like the plus two from the Ashwings that maybe you w- would have been able to attack if you had go again. Um, also, Ember Moss op- occupies a slot that is not as replaceable. Like Doombreaker Centipi, uh the red one is especially. is kind of like a Skittering Sands in the sense, like Skittering Sands kind of can act as a Doombreaker Sentapai, uh, but nothing can replace Ember Moss And in the mirror, in the Dromai Mirror, the more Ember Maws you have, the less likely you'll fatigue because each of your Ember Maws requires your opponent to commit more cards. Even the blue one is a two for six, which is still like that's still something um where otherwise dromai mirrors often go fatigue so if you're boarding into a dromai you might want to consider putting in more cards that's kind of where you maybe put in the yellow sand covers and just just kind of have a few more cards so you don't get fatigued because they will get to a point where you have to choose between life deck and dragons and if you have more cards in your deck now at least you're only choosing between life and dragons um, I don't know if that makes sense, but hopefully that does. Maybe it will make sense if you play a Dromai Mirror. Um, yeah, that's kind of the card prioritization. It's just those two are kind of in their own category. Um, you know, in terms of ranking the dragons, I think there is like like the invocations. That there is like roughly like, you know, uh, Necria, Um After that, I think Kyloria takes the spot, especially in limited. Um, then all the zeros. So Chromai is just almost strictly better than Azvilai, Um, just because if Chromai you get popped, you still have a turn. Um, and I think the only thing I want to talk about is Uvia and Vincenrakai are high variance situational cards. Vinny can sometimes win you games and it can sometimes lose you games. Don't get yourself in situations where it's going to lose you the game. I think it's the easiest thing I can say about it. Um, don't play it against Iceland if they have a card in their arsenal. Um, Uvia just don't play that card against Fi. Or if you're playing it, don't, like make sure it wasn't because you had to take damage. Block with that card as quickly as you can because stat-wise, that card's not going to do anything against a Fi. Um Whereas against it that card's nuts. So uh, Those cards are just situational. Just know when they're good and when they're bad. And just don't put yourself in situations where they're bad. I guess is the easiest thing I can say about them. They're not necessarily like, don't pick them. Oh, this card is trash. I would take anything over it. No, they're good in certain matchups. Just... Know when they're bad and, and block with them when they're bad or or just pitch pitch them. So yeah. All right.
0: So heading into our last hero here, so Icelander, the first kind of the first question and the one that I'm not even sure I completely have an answer to is uh, what sort of ratios are you looking for? Resource ratios? How many reds are you looking for? How many blues? Uh, and even how many ice cards?
1: So this question, same thing uh, in the way that I answered it with the Phi. It's For me, just prevalent, how many blues do I want my hand on average, right? Um, I think this can be something that changes. There is no correct answer. It's based off what you end up drafting. Um, The Aether Ice Fane line is extremely powerful. Even the yellow is really good. I'm happy to draft the yellow pretty early. Um, The red is obviously really good. The blue, to me, actually, I prefer the blue over the red. Uh, Some people might argue against... Against that, but I—that's just how I the way I standard decks. I like drafting. I love the blue. I'll take it over the red. Um, if you have a lot of these three cost cards, you're going to need more blues in your hand. In fact, you'll need three blues to really have like optimal functional turns. Um, but you're not going ha- like, to always have a three cost in your in your hand. So the number then becomes between two to three blues. Well, if you're presenting thirty cards, you know times two divided by three. Oh, we're we're looking at you know 20, 20 blues is kind of the, the the optimal number. That's just magical Christmas land for me. Like I don't know how many drafts you guys have done, but getting to twenty blues that I'm not like embarrassed to have in my deck, it's like really hard. And yeah, uh, really close. yeah like I think I like I had I had eighteen once, and I thought I was invincible. <laughs> so like uh, oh I don't know, Brendan, uh, for our team sealed, I presented eighteen every time. And I like I felt like I was just like insane in the mirrors. I just like knew I had more blues than them like by like turn three. Um, so bath wise, it makes like like 20 seems like great if you kind of have a good mix of like three costs and zero costs. I think if you have a lot of zero costs, red threes, um, those are kind of my favorite to draft early. I'll draft that almost over like a lot of the blues. It, the only reason I think that is because of modularity. You can have a zero card hand with a zero for three and not be embarrassed you can have a two card hand and not be embarrassed you can just zero for three and hopefully the other card is at least a yellow and just waning moon that's only two damage but at least it's something um those zero for threes let you get ganked less um one of the ways you can get ganked as an icelander is you block you have another card that you want to block and your opponent just plays a healing bomb and now you just like can't do anything with both of these cards or only you or maybe you can only do something with one of the cards and that's just like one of the worst places to be so but if you have a lot of zero for threes, you can cheat on the blue count a little bit. Like when I say cheat, I mean as low as like 13 blues. Um, because but also the other th- good thing about the zero cost cards is, is if you're drafting the blue ones, they also make Waning Moon potentially um, sorry, make yellows potentially a three damage card on your opponent's turn. Um, so that's like we're trying to mitigate disaster, right? We're trying to make a nice center pool that only has like 12 or 13 blues, but it has a decent amount of yellows you can get saved by these like zero-cost blues, from or zero-cost um, non-attack actions. That you can play from your arsenal and make these yellow cards worth a card. Um, so no real clear answer, but I think most Icelanders that are drafting just want to have as many as they can because um, that just gives you the most amount of flexibility. Um, I personally err towards having more blues than having these red um, damaging spells. Um, I, you know, red... Aether Ice Fane is obviously extremely nuts. Um, but I only want like one in my deck. I'd rather have like one of those and like two yellow ones. Because um, I'm thinking about the a Mirror. Um, I'm just thinking about the way that the hands work. I don't want to take so much damage all the time. Like, I think I really only need to pivot once off of a, a red Aether Ice Fane to really win back that tempo. Um, I just want to have a consistent deck, lots of blues, never have a hand that doesn't have a blue um at maximum have a hand that has only one blue and sometimes I just like block the whole hand and arsenal blue or just block almost the entire hand just play one card and keep the card in my arsenal not even play it that turn if, it, if I don't think that I can actually use it that turn so in terms of ratios I guess I feel I feel like I'm in trouble if I have less than uh 13 so mm-hmm. if I'm in that 12 range 10 range because that's like on average you're like you're not even that you get one blue per hand, but some hands you might not get a blue, and that's really bad. Yeah, just having some of
0: those... Like, those unplayable hands are, like you said, in Thai format, are just... They can... Yeah. ...lose the game really That might ability. be game. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, closing out here, I just want you to... You obviously had a lot of thoughts on the formats uh, prior to really putting them to the test. Obviously, there's your local game store, there's your testing group, etcetera. etc. Yeah. But you recently yeah. had experience in... The uh, the calling the calling you tracked. Was there any lessons that you learned from that event?
1: Um, there are going to be people that force five in your pod. If you don't think so, you might be the one that's doing it. That, that's a small joke. But I also don't think people know how to play ice center very well. Um, generally, um, I just felt like this was like a like the person that ended up drafting ice center. My pod just like didn't know how to play. I wa- I was walking around watching games. I just felt like. I feel like if you learn how to play Icelander, you'll be advantaged in the sense that there are people who will literally go to callings and in these top tier to events just like, don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, you can, and if you, can I play Icelander, you'll just be able to pick up some wins, have these powerful cards that you shouldn't always have. Um, those are like my main two takeaways. I also just feel like uh, I really don't like, someone in my pod was DQ'd on uh, day two. Um so, and I kind of feel like it was because they were looking around. Um, I just want to caution you guys as players to just keep that in mind because there was no warning at all. Like, the right when the draft ended, the, a couple of judges came up to the guy and said, Hey, can you pick up your stuff and, and walk with us? And he was just dq like, he just was removed from the tournament. So just keep that in mind. That is something that's a, a thing, uh, especially day two at the calling um, because it becomes professional RL
2: interesting good learnings yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah i'm i'm really keen to see how this format evolves as we head and head into the pro tour especially off the back of singapore um you know i think these major events they put a lot of our theory to the test you know we can do a lot of internal testing and have the thoughts that uh have the thoughts that we have but it doesn't it doesn't really crystallize until you uh you go to something like a calling um yeah but anyway Michael, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you on. You know, obviously, your new podcast Attack for Twenty has been very popular. If you want to dive even deeper into some of the topics that we talked about, especially regarding limited, go check it out. Um, outside of that, Michael, you're on YouTube, cards with M, You do box openings um, yeah. all the time, <laughs> long, long streams. Yeah. Where yeah. else? Uh, where else can people find you? Anything else that you wanna you wanna plug?
1: I've been tweeting a little bit more, trying to trying to be another person that just tweets and does coverage especially when there's like no coverage just so give the guys back home some type of context into what's going on in the tournaments and my twitter is also cards with them at cards of M, so check that out awesome
0: well thanks again michael uh and we will you know i'll probably see you i guess the next time i'll see you is going to be in lil
1: yeah looking forward to it thank you guys you go, so lil. much for having me
0: yeah thank you
1: thanks
2: michael
0: all right, so signing off for the week and in the tradition of episode 68 and skipping our usual sections, we are skipping the Google section this week because we didn't have one. But Hayden, if they, if someone wants to get the review
2: read out on the podcast, how do they do it? Brendan's desperate. <laughs> Come on, team, Brendan's desperate. So ratethispodcast.com forward slash Arsenal Pass. It'll direct you to your preferred podcast listening platform and you can leave a review based on that uh they all really help us out not only you know do they give brendan a good sort of piece of entertainment and something to do with his time but uh they help us get you know on the charts and and get recognized and, and people see the podcast maybe you know we've got fish and blood players poking around aren't aware of arsenal pass they can find us a lot easier so we do appreciate all of the reviews and i do mean all of the reviews uh that's going to be it for this week I do just want to give a quick plug to the youtube page again as we say shouting for that or reaching for that five thousand subs go drop us a, a, a like and a subscription twitter both Brendan and I are on Twitter and in the Flesh and Blood Twitter universe. Brendan is at BrendanAPG. I'm at Fian underscore Dale. Come and join in the discourse with us. Uh, we post a lot about, I guess, things that we're doing, questions we're finding in the community, uh, decks we're playing, events we're playing, etc. all those kind of updates. And of course, last big shout out to all of our patrons. Thank you. Until next week, Brendan. See you next time.